Hello and welcome to Sunday Messages with Fairmount Friends Church. We're so glad that you are joining us. You can find out more on www.fairmountfriendschurch.org. Here's Pastor Brock Meyer. kind of wish I had my Fitbit on this morning. Could have tracked all those steps. I'll tell you, I don't want to, um, to rush quickly when there's testimonies of what God is doing, prayers that people are asking for their church family to rally around them, testimonies of how the church family has rallied around and loved them and prayed for them and brought meals. Um, the beauty of being a small town church is that we're in it together and that we're a sense of family, that there's a sense of belonging to one another, with one another, um, that we don't just attend something that we don't really know each other, um, that we're not just a social club, but that we are a spiritual family in it together. Um, so there's a lot of prayers. There's a lot of ache that's out there. There's a lot of celebration. Isn't that the picture of life? I mean, there's moments of massive celebration and seasons of mega mourning and grieving. And as a church family, whenever there's more of us, it helps because sometimes we've got some people that can grieve with those who grieve, and we've got some that can dance with those who dance and laugh with those who laugh. And what I love hearing is these testimonies saying that the church family came and loved on me, that there was a, there was a group of people that showed up at my back door, that there was people that showed up with, uh, with food and, and encouragement. Um, because that is the sign of a healthy church, that it's not just a one or two man show, it's the church body taking care of itself. Um, an elbow cannot scratch itself. I've tried. It needs other parts of the body to help to take care of the body, and that's what's awesome. Um, if anybody's familiar with the, uh, the tragedy that happened in the Starkey family um, this past weekend, it's awesome to see John as a man of God stand up here, and what's going to come out of his lips is, we're leaning on the Lord. We're leaning on the everlasting love and goodness and compassion of God. That a man of God doesn't succumb to the situations, but he stands up in the middle of the circumstances and says, this is my God, and he's faithful even when life is hard, he's still in the mix with us. John, what a move, man. And not only did you do that just to honor the Lord or to speak that over your family, but that's an example, hopefully to all of our church family, that when tragedy comes knocking, we stand with gratitude in our hearts to the Lord. I mean, what a, what an upside-down move. It's an almost, almost silly move to say, God, you're good. Even when the enemy tries to sneak in and, and sucker punch us, God, you're still good and you're still faithful. <laughs> it's a good move, man. I think that attracts the face of God. It provokes the, the joy of the Father, that we're not pointing our fingers at God or questioning God, where were you? It's like, God, we just lean into you even more. Um, that's maturity. 
it's not immature. Immaturity runs and points and blame shifts. Maturity stands and continues to, to have faith and trust. Good move, right? It's good. Let's pray together as a church family for all of the swirl of stuff that just goes on. And the God who presides over the swirl. Jesus, we just come to you as a church family that's full of joy and it's full of aches and pains. As a family, Lord, we present ourselves to you. We declare that you're good. We declare that you're God, that you preside over all the affairs of men. God, we, we declare that you are faithful even when life is hard. We declare that you're the healer of our bodies, of our mental health and physical health and spiritual health. We declare you as the healer over all things. We as a church family, we lean into the everlasting arms of a good father that's for us. We honor you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. All right. These last couple weeks, we have been talking about the person of Christ. Uh, we talked about the characters of Christ. Last week, we talked about Jesus and the compassion that he had with the woman at the well and, uh, and her, his desire to connect with her connection before correction, if you remember that. Um, how he wanted to um, change and bring a whole new life to her and how she began to change her community around her. Um, and as we are building this series, we're building it up to Easter and, and, and walking through as we walk in next week to Holy Week um, and, and the passion of the Christ as he heads toward Jerusalem, spending this last week um, of the Passover of, of uh, uh, the festival of Passover, going to the cross, um, his death, burial, and then ultimately Easter is the resurrection. And so this morning we want to talk about what is the purpose of the cross and, and what we have to talk about is the backstory of why Jesus even needed to go to the cross. And sometimes backstories aren't always enjoyable. Sometimes looking back into your family history isn't always like super fun. But as we're going to talk this morning, as we talk about this big theology, uh, um, I guess, banner that a lot of theology falls underneath would be the fall of man. And the sin inside of our hearts is what disconnects us from God. Okay, so here's this big ticket idea is the fall of man. Then we need to look to the backstory and talk about, well, what happened and how did all of that transpire and why did we get so disconnected from God is only going to set up as a backdrop for the reason that we need a superhero to show up in the first place. If Lois Lane is not in trouble, there's no need for Superman to show up. There's no need for Clark Kent to take his glasses off and to take his, rip open his shirt and start coming in um, to save 
Lois Lane if she's really not that bad of a deal in trouble. So this morning as we talk about the fall of man, we're going to dive deep into what is sin and how has it disconnected us from the love of God. A couple other things that we'll talk about is, is this is a killer question. There's a killer question that is asked, a question that ultimately leads to death that we want to bring up. And then also I just want to talk just for a little bit about Tootsie Rolls and how do Tootsie Rolls play into all of this stuff here. So understanding man's condition from the fall is a critical for the believer to really prop up the backdrop of understanding God's incredible plan of redemption that he achieved through the person of Jesus Christ. As we've talked about previously, that, that Adam and Eve were created in the image of God, uh, for God, for the glory of God, to be like God. There was this brilliant design, and they experienced the presence of of God. Sometimes we talk about this idea of original sin, and there's original sin that started with Adam and Eve, but originally, even before that, it was good. God declared that creation was good, and he would walk with Adam throughout the garden, and there was relationship, and it was perfect, and it was amazing and awesome. The original was good until something snuck into the garden or was even there to begin with. And we then walk into Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, we're introduced to this character that they call a serpent. Eve is in the garden, and he asks this killer question. He asks this, did God really say that you can't eat from this tree? We know there's a couple different trees. There was the tree of life that was there in the tree, and he says that you can eat from all of these trees. You can have access to everything here, except there's a tree in here we don't want you to eat from, and the tree is the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And, and God had told this to Adam, and Adam's responsibility, listen up men, Adam's responsibility as the priest of his home and the leader of his family was to take the information from God and disciple his family. And God told this to Adam. There's certain things that you can eat from, so other things that you can't. And then Adam needs to teach the heart of God to his family. And a serpent comes in and attacks his wife, Eve, and says, Did God really say that we can't eat from this tree? And begins to sneak her way in there. Is it really a good idea to save ourselves for marriage? Is that really the best move is it really is this really what God is saying that like in this class that we should tithe and worship him with the giving of our money is that really the best way to live did God really say that we need to abstain from certain things and and did God really say for that we ought to have like I don't know certain spiritual disciplines did God really say that we shouldn't forsake the fellowship of the believer but that we all ought to be together he does little things these killer questions that separate us from the family of God and from the heart of God, from the presence of God, often. And he attacks Eve with this question. From this moment, Eve eats this from, the, from the, 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 the fruit from this tree. We don't know that it was an apple, but somebody painted it long ago, and then all of a sudden it became an apple forever. 
and taking a bite of the apple, it seems like, is this thing that them, that first step of disobedience, led mankind into sin. The Bible says because of one man's sin, now all men are subjected to the curse of sin. We're born into sin. King David, he wrote this, he said, in sin my mother conceived me. Conceived, meaning at conception, when the seed and the egg hit each other and it's beginning to form a human sinner at that point, disconnected from what I have done, I am now subjected underneath this curse of all of humanity because of our father Adam, because of what he has done now, all of mankind lives under this curse of sin that comes in. Immediately what follows from this is, is guilt and shame. Adam and Eve, they run and they hide. Anybody ever been in, in where you have experienced these moments of shame and your move is, I just want to hide, I don't want uh, to be around God, I don't want to go to church, I don't want to be around people, I definitely don't want to meet with uh, like an accountability partner, I, I want to stay away from that sort of stuff. And Adam and Eve, their move is not repentance, their move is to hide. Their, mood is, their move is shame. And my heart here this morning is to lift guilt and shame off of us that we would just see, oh my gosh, am I so far from God? And I want to repent. And repent simply means to change your life. And I was going in this direction. Now I'm just going to make some moves, moving my heart and my life into the direction that Jesus is calling me to. And so there's no guilt, there's no shame. But Adam and Eve, their move was guilt and shame. And then they saw, I'm naked, and I'm ashamed of my nakedness. And so they begin to sew clothes and leaves together to hide. And God shows up, and God asks this question. He goes, Adam, where are you? Where are you? Why did you leave? You don't need to leave. We're in relationship. I'm for you. I love you. I'm with you. Where, where did you go? You don't need to hide. Just come be with me. Come on, let's stay together in this thing. And church family, whatever you currently are walking through, whatever decisions that you've made, whatever you've said or done with your life, don't run from the Father because he's for you. He's with you. And he just wants to lead us through the person of Jesus, he just wants to lead us back to himself. Whenever this move happened, all of creation came under a curse, the Bible says. The curse was, was this, that the, that the serpent, you will now crawl on your belly. The woman, childbearing, will be hard. For the man, your work will be hard through the sweat of your brow. For the earth, It'll be like thorns and thistles. For mankind, you will be removed from the Garden of Eden. You'll be removed from this, from this holy habitation. It was holy, right? It was different. It was set apart from the rest of creation. It would be moved, removed from this holy place with God. Then we see the effects of the fall. What happens to the human heart? What happens inside of the human heart is one of the first things is we become self-centered instead of God-centered. Adam and Eve begin to view life from their own perspective. They became the center of their own reality. Mankind is gripped by a pervasive sense of self-centeredness. 
What's interesting here is that when my kids, when my kids were babies, I mean young, 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 they didn't even know how to talk yet. They were so self-centered that they didn't want to share anything. And we didn't have to teach them not how, you know, how to not share. But they just knew it. It was in them. It was at the core of who they were. No, this is mine. Mine. No, you can't have that. Ah, I'm tired. I need a nap. Ah, I'm hungry. Ah, I pooped my pants. Ah, I did whatever. And I'm screaming and I'm yelling and I'm whining and I'm crying and I want more and it's all for me. I didn't have to teach him that. It's in them. It's in the core of who they are. Sin was so radically to the core. The word, the word radical means to the core. And so the radicalness of sin was to the core. You, do you know how, how a worm gets inside of an apple? Is Sometimes it can just kind of eat its way from the outside. You might see those little holes. But the, but the, 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 the most, I guess, the most way is how it happens, is that the worm will lay eggs on the seed. The, 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 the larva of the worm begins to grow on the apple seed. As the apple seed begins to open, and as the fruit grows around this, the core of the, the seed, the worm is already inside it before it even grows into the fullness of who it is. Sin is already on the seed of who we are at conception, which to the core. And as the fruit begins to grow around it, as our lives and our bodies begin to grow around the, this corrupt heart that is desperately wicked and is disconnected from God, it's in us. No, it's mine. I can't believe they'd say that about me because I'm awesome. And why? And why didn't I get the job? And why didn't I get the... And I should have an... Ah! You didn't have to go to any classes to get training on that. It comes naturally. It's your nature. It's who you are. It's who I am. I'm all about me. And instead of living God-centered, I start living self centered the bible says that the wages of sin is death so it's like the payout because you did sin what you get paid with is death when i one of my very first jobs is i worked for my grandfather and i worked with him around his his home and his property and kind of this this farm property and then he owned multiple other properties and 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 houses and apartments and so we would go in and we would paint the inside of these apartments and and clean and and out on his at his house we'd paint fences and fence posts and we would mow and we would do all of these jobs and my grandpa uh, uh, the wages that he would pay me for that work was in tootsie rolls <laughs> anybody else remember getting ripped off by your grandparents 
And my payment was, hey, great work today. Good job getting after it all day out in the sweating, beating sun. Here's a couple Tootsie Rolls. I'm like, yeah. And he lived over by Upland. And the big thing was if he would, you know, like, hey, for lunch, we'll go to Ivanhoe's. And man, I would get a, you know, an ice cream shake or something like that. And that's what I, I would, you know, I'd get paid with Tootsie Rolls. And the payout for the work that you've done in your life, which is, which is work that's disconnected from God, is from a corrupt heart, is from a depraved mind. What we do with our life, what we get paid in the end is death. And not just that we will die here on the earth, although that is part of the curse. We, we no longer experience life forever. This thing does come to an end. But also, the disconnection from the Lord is eternal death if not for the person of Jesus Christ. We'll be disconnected forever. Self-centeredness, we begin to live for our own pleasures, our own comforts, our own securities. And instead of finding joy and pleasure in our relationship with God, we pursue fulfillment through man-made substitutes. The prophet Isaiah, he captures the heart of this fallen mankind whenever he writes this he says they all turn to their own way each seeks his own gain we no longer rely upon the wisdom of God but now we turn to our own wisdom we're blinded Isaiah 44 says that that our eyes have been plastered over because of sin we cannot see God how many of y'all know that a blind person it's hard for a blind person to find anything they're not good at like hide and go seek. They can't find things. This idea that, that maybe somehow I stumbled onto finding Jesus. You didn't find God. He found you. He was the hound dog of heaven that was snuffing you out and pursuing you. How can we love God? Because he first set his affection upon us. And so God is making these moves toward us. But without a move from God, we're blinded. And cut off. Martin Luther says this. He says, The ultimate proof of the sinner is that he does not know his own sin. We don't even know it. The heart is desperately wicked above all things. Who can even know it or understand? And the heart has been disconnected. The heart is entertained by things, and we don't even wonder why. I don't even really care that my heart is caught up in other pleasures. We find joy in what God hates. Michael Horton says this, we cannot find God for the same reason a thief cannot find a police officer. Not even that maybe, you know, a thief believes in police officers, but you can't find one because you're not looking for one. You have no joy in police officers. You have no delight to spend time with them. Your lifestyle is completely opposite. You're running from the police officer because you don't want to be in the presence of a police officer. That's what happens when our hearts have been corrupted by sin. We run from the very thing that can lead us to a better life. A couple Quaker leaders and their views on sin. This comes from different faith and practices that have been collected through different Indiana yearly meetings. But it says this, darkness is the opposite of light. Darkness needs to be revealed by the light. Isn't that good? Sometimes you don't even know that you're living in darkness until somebody flips the lights on. You're like, whoa, whoa, how helpful is this? 
The difference between good and evil is not immediately apparent to us, and we need the light of God to tell us the difference. We don't even know that we're delighting in the things that the Lord hates. We don't even know that we're running from the cops. We just thought that we were living the life that we were supposed to live. George Fox, he wrote this, of God revealing the origin of evil as springing from the human heart and mind. William Dewsbury, he experienced the light revealing the evil in his own heart. When the lights flip on, we see our, our sin. Thomas Elwood, he experienced the divine light of Christ revealing and fighting against the evil within him. Samuel Bonus, he speaks of the spirit of Christ having victory over his evil deeds. Thomas R. Kelly, these are all different Quaker leaders, he describes God as the revealer of light and the revealer of his darkness. Joe Volokot, he speaks of the resistance that he felt toward the light because, he says, I perhaps don't altogether want the demands involved, and I don't want to see all of the dust in my life. This is an understanding that perhaps we see most in the, the advices and the queries. Uh, uh, it's called the, the advice and the queries of number one which tells us of God's light, how it shows us our darkness, and it brings us to a new life. So the first one is that we experience a self-centered light. The second one is that we experience spiritual death. The immediate result of sin is that there's a spiritual death that takes place. The Bible refers to this death in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It says, as for you, you were dead. Everybody say dead. Dead. Dead people, they don't do fellowship real well. Dead people don't read their Bible. Dead people don't find God. Dead people don't live in a relationship with God. Dead people don't come to church and, and hear the word of God. Dead people are very much disconnected from the heart of God, from the presence of God. And he says, that's the reality. That's where you're at. You're dead. Dead people don't find anything. They're not finding God. Let that just sit for a moment. That's where we are in our sin. We're dead in our transgressions and in our sin. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. It doesn't say that we were just merely ailing. It doesn't say that you're, that you're sick and you need to go to a hospital and that you're smart enough to open up your mouth so they can put some medicine in there. Just swallow the medicine. If you just will swallow the medicine, it's like a, it's like a preacher presenting the gospel. Hey, if you can just come up with some good ideas, dead people just don't come up with good ideas. And if you can just respond, we can't respond. We're dead. And so we need a supernatural, Holy Spirit, divine appointment where he breaks in. And it's not that you are in a hospital and that you need some medicine. No, no, no. The picture is that you're in a morgue and that you need the Holy Spirit supernatural defibrillator to come in and get a heartbeat going on inside of you and to awaken a dead heart that it will breathe again. And the best thing going for a dead person is life. 
and breath, and you're saying, well, God wouldn't force me to love him. No, he's just going to cause your heart to come alive, and trust me, you're going to like that option much better than you're going to like being dead. And when he causes your heart to come alive, here's what you do. You go, yes, to the breath of God. And the breath means, Yahweh. The breath of God is the Yahweh of God, is the person of God, and we just breathe in the life of God. We need a supernatural awakening because you won't come to find God by yourself or on your own. We've been dead, and he's the only person that can cause us to come alive. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses, I guess we'll start here in verse 12, Paul just piles up this deep grave, and he buries us in it. He says this in Ephesians 2, the seriousness of our condition, number one, we're separated from God. Number two, we've been alienated from the covenant. Number three, we're strangers to God. Number four, we're without hope. And number five, we're without God. And to make matters even worse, number six, he says that you become the objects of God's wrath. That's a pretty bleak spot to be in, isn't it? That's a very bleak spot to be in. This is part of the curse of sin. Number three, there's a physical curse that the whole universe has been placed under. That's Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. Some of y'all know we get sick, we die, we're subjected to tragedy, to illness. In, verses, in Romans chapter 8, 19 through 23, it talks about how the whole universe is groaning under the weight of the curse as it awaits for the return of Jesus Christ, the Redeemer. This is where we would talk about the idea of total depravity. It's not like it's just affected us a little bit. No, it has, it has affected us totally. Like Lois Lane is not just like trapped in the upper, you know, skyscraper and the building's on fire. No, Lois Lane is buried six feet deep and Superman has to come and perform a resurrection. Lois Lane, it's not like she's going to get really tricky and figure out her way out of the building. No, 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 no. She's dead. She's separated, she's cut off, and she's buried in sin. And Superman has to come and completely supernaturally raise her up. The Bible says this in Romans 3, there is no one who is righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, there is no one who seeks God. All have turned away, and all have become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And if we think, man, but I'm kind of a good guy. I'm just a good old boy. I've been basically good. Kiss my mama, show up to work on time, try to get my kids in church at least twice a month. I'm a good guy, man. The Bible just say, man, all of your righteous acts are like filthy rags. If it's not a repentance and a giving of your heart to the person of Jesus Christ repenting and saying, Jesus, you're the only way. You are the way. You are the truth. You are the life, and I've got to surrender it all. We're, we're going we're gonna to ask Jesus today for a supernatural that we can't even muster up ourselves, revealing and awakening of the Holy Spirit, as John 3 would say, that the Holy Spirit wind will blow wherever he will, that he'll blow upon your heart. He'll blow upon the heart of your family. We can't control the wind, 
But man, we're just going to believe God that the, that the wind of heaven is going to begin to blow. The Bible says this in Romans 3, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans uh, 2 says that all men are without excuse because of this sin. And Isaiah, he observed that from the top of our heads to the sole of our feet, it says there's no soundness that is in man. The apostle, said, apostle Paul said, nothing good lives within us. That's Romans, 8, uh, Romans 7, 18. Proverbs 21, 4 says, even the plowing of the field is wickedness and sin. Isn't that wild? Even just going to work is like dishonoring to God, even just showing up because our hearts are so far from Him. So we're unable to contribute to our own salvation. This puts us not in like a, like a oh man, what a bummer, but like deep depression, like, oh, then, then what's the choice? What's my option? How do I, what do, what do I do? The classic Westminster Confession, it states this, man, by his fall into the state of sin, hath wholly lost all ability of will to any spiritual good accompany, uh, accompanying salvation. So, as a natural man, being altogether averse from good and dead in sin, is not able by his own strength to convert himself or prepare himself thereunto. This fallen state that we've been separated from God, from Adam and Eve to Cain and Abel to the next generation to the next generation to your own life and to mine. The sin that separates us what then are we going to do? What then can we do? And we can contribute nothing aside from the Holy Spirit supernaturally coming in to someone who is dead and breathing the fresh life. And you know what your, what your response is when that breath hits our soul and our inner man is to go like this. Now, now the journey begins. My eyes have been awakened. He's ripped the plaster off of my eyes. He's breathed fresh life inside of my heart. I now can see. I've tasted. The Bible says once you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, then we'll pursue him. And now we can start to make good decisions. Why? Because we have a restored heart. We have a regenerated heart heart. Now I can move into not just conversion or redemption, I can move into sanctification. I can become more like him and start making choices to become conformed to the image of the Son of God. I now, my, my wanter has been awakened. I can now say, Jesus, I want you because you're good. You've caused something to come alive inside of me. I want to pursue you. I want to become more like you. Then the work begins, right? And it's a life of faith and of work together. I believe in you. Now I'm going to walk this thing out to become more like you each and every day. Guys, I know that today's a heavy lesson. It's a heavy session. It's like, man, can we just move on to like Easter whenever he's alive and he's flexing his muscles? And we will, and we're getting there. But let's properly set up the backdrop for why Superman needs to show up. And it's heavy and it's a bummer, but man, when he shows up, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm a mess, thank you, because I was hopeless, I was without hope unless you showed up. 
and we just want to make Jesus big. Let's just get ourselves really small, and let's get him really big, and then life gets really good at that point. All right, church family, (sighs) we're going to end with a bummer, but next week is coming, okay? And the next two weeks are coming as we go, as we set our sights on Holy Week, and we set our sights upon the cross and an empty grave. It is coming, and that is what we will celebrate. Church family, as we close here this morning, would you all stand with me, and we're going to pray. Jesus, we just confess this morning that we're sinners. And aside from a supernatural move of the Holy Spirit, we're, we're, we're cut off from you. Lord, we thank you that you did not run away from us, but that you pursued, that you set your affection upon us, that you, that you, uh, you slayed the dragon, and that you overcame death in the grave to redeem your bride. We just honor you and we celebrate you. We, look our, we set our sights for these messages where we see Jesus coming in and prevailing like a mighty king, like a mighty man marching to rescue his bride. We honor and celebrate you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're so glad that you were with us today. You can subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or your preferred podcasting app. Be sure to rate us so other people can know about the podcast.